You're listening to Men of Abundance, episode 152 with David Barnett. Today, we're talking about investing local and man, so much more. Just wait until you hear these action steps. Welcome to Men of Abundance, the podcast for those looking to level up their lives by hanging out with some of the greatest leaders and established professionals in our community, living a life of integrity, honor, and the abundance mentality. Prepare to pay it forward with your host, former army medic turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Wally Carmichael. What is going on, Men of Abundance? I am Wally Carmichael, your founder and host of the Men of Abundance podcast. You know, I have to say it, every single time I get into one of these episodes, most of these episodes, most of these conversations, I've recorded up to four months prior. And it is close to Christmas right now. And I literally feel like it's Christmas when I unwrap each and every one of these episodes, these conversations that I've had a couple months prior, because I get reminded of the amazing conversation that I had. And then I get to edit it, take notes, and then share it with all of you guys. And then listen to the finished product. You've heard me say this before, if you've been listening for a while. And it truly is a blessing for me because I learned so much and I get more and more abundant in my mindset each and every episode that I listen to. And I'm hoping that you guys are getting the same thing out of this. If you're brand new to listening to Men of Abundance, I want to personally welcome you to the community and we truly are doing what we can to build a community around Men of Abundance. And if you're brand new, number one, first thing I want you to do is thank the person who invited you to listen to Men of Abundance. And I want to personally invite you to the Men of Abundance community. You can join the community by going to menofabundance.com forward slash members, or just click on the members tab at the top of any one of the pages at menofabundance.com. We are in the process of building a community over there where we can have these real conversations about what it truly means to live a life of abundance and to be a man of abundance. There's so much involved in this. Being a man, being a man of abundance is not what we see on TV. It's not what we hear on the radio. It's so much deeper than what we can comprehend as living as the men that we've been thus far. And I am extremely excited about our future as men of abundance. Now, as the title states of this episode, one of the things we talk about is investing local, and we get into that in the conversation. So I'm not going to spoil that right now. You know, at the end of the show, I I share my comments, I share my thoughts of the conversation, and I'm going to do that just like I always do. But understand, this episode goes much deeper than investing. Our featured guest today is, amongst many other things, a financial specialist. But we go much deeper than just the finances. And you know that I want you to live your life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness. And we're going to touch on that. But we go much deeper than just the finances in this conversation. So let me just introduce you to our featured guest today. David Barnett has been working with small business for over 20 years. He is a former finance and business broker and works with entrepreneurs around the world to help them buy, sell, finance, and plan their businesses. David has written six books, which are available on Amazon, and three of them have become bestsellers, Invest Local, Franchise Warnings, and How to Sell My Own Business. 
David just recently released his business systemization program called Build a Business That People Will Want to Buy and a new special report on borrowing from business brokers when you buy a business. Men of Abundance, it is my honor to introduce you to David Barnett. David, welcome to Men of Abundance, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much, Wallace, for having me on the show. Man, my pleasure. It really is my pleasure. I dig what you got going on. Where are you at in the world? I am on the east coast of Canada. So I'm in uh, Moncton, New Brunswick, and um, we are just a little bit north of Halifax. We're close to both the Bay of Fundy and the beautiful beaches on the Northumberland Strait, looking across at Prince Edward Island. Very cool. Very cool. So in the last week, not this week, but (laughs) the end of last week, and uh, today you're the second person I've talked to in the last uh, seven days from Canada, actually in the last three days. So here on Men of Abundance, one of the things I like to really start the show out with an attitude of gratitude. And so what do you have to be grateful for today, David? Well, hands down, it's, uh, you know, my whole life plan and the way I live my life is all based around trying to create the best possible childhood that I can for my two children. I've got my son who's about to turn eight and my daughter who's nine years old. Very cool. And what are their ages again? Uh, he he is about to turn eight in two months and she's nine. Oh, wow. I've got a 22-year-old, an 18-year-old, and an eight-year-old. So <laughs> i got the <laughs> gamut there, man. You know, before we got started here, I talked a little bit about what you're doing, what you have going on. I mentioned your your links, and we'll have all the links linked up in the in the show notes of the podcast at Men of mm-hmm. Abundance. Um, but here at Men of Abundance, we really like to get to know the man behind the abundance and get a little bit more personal. So if you could, share a little bit with us that maybe the average person doesn't know about you, and let's get a little bit personal. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I've always been someone who's interested in business. Uh, when I was a child, I had many childhood businesses, such as mowing lawns and course being in Canada shoveling snow in the winter time and uh, even in university I was always you know creating little little hustles or ways to make money I once even signed a licensing agreement with uh, my university I had a meeting with the vice principal got him to to agree to this licensing agreement so I put the university's crest onto Zippo lighters and of course they wanted the legal documents to show that I actually had permission to use this image and then I wholesaled those lighters to the university bookstore. So I've always been, now that was back in the 90s, of course, when more people were smoking cigarettes, but um, I've always had my eye out for opportunities and ways to make money. And when I finished up at school, I really had the great pleasure of working for a Yellow Pages publisher. And this was, again, was in the 90s. So it was a really relevant media back then. You know, if you needed to find any kind of local service provider, that that was the place you went to because if you typed Google, you know, plumber into Google at that time, you'd get some plumber in California, right? They hadn't figured out the local searching at that time. And, um, and, and from there, I decided to leave that business and start my own, you know, my first real, well, let's call it a grown-up business with employees and, and you know, tax forms and all that other stuff. Um, you know, personally, I love the outdoors. I love going camping. We've got a, one of those tent trailers, and I like to take my kids as many weekends as I can out into the wilderness. And I'm really concerned about what I put into my body as far as food and nutrition. So a couple of years ago, I took up home canning as a hobby. And not only do I do you know pickles and jams and that kind of thing, but I do, I do pressure canning so I can make soups and stews and all that other kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to fall here because 
when all of the local farmers have their big harvest, of course, that's when you can get things cheap. And I usually keep myself busy for a couple of weekends, putting away as much as I can, you know, I guess just like people did 100 years ago. I was looking at, as I was reading through your bio and some of the stuff that you got going on, I know you got six books out, but three that you mentioned specifically, Invest Local, Franchise Warnings, and How to Sell My Own Business. The one that really kind of caught my eye, I want to talk about Invest Local for sure. Um, okay. Because I have the, the link here that I put in the show notes, investlocalbook.com. But Franchise Warnings, what is that about? Yeah, so one of the um, one of the careers that I had over the last few years, and when where I I first cut my teeth on helping people buy and sell businesses is is I used to be a business broker, and I owned a, a, a Sunbelt business broker franchise for about four years, and when I owned that brokerage, I helped people buy and sell franchise businesses. I also helped a couple of people get into some new franchise businesses, and before I became a business broker, I really um, you know, just kind of had a cursory understanding of what franchises were. And I really believed some of the things that that get publicized about franchises, about how they're less risky than businesses, and it's an easier way to start, and it's easier to have success, and that kind of thing. And what I saw in the real world when I was working with clients navigating through these, these transactions, um, really a lot of the ta- times made my stomach turn because uh, I learned – so many things that, of course, is not publicized in, in the world of franchising. And one of the things that I can point out very quickly here is that there's not a lot out there about why franchising may not be the right model for you as an entrepreneur. And the reason there's not a whole lot out there is because everyone else has their hands in the cookie jar. So let me give you an example. I sold someone a new franchise, and that person paid a franchise fee of $50,000, okay? New franchise fee. 30000 of that came right back to me as a commission, okay? So, so there's brokers, there's people who write books on franchises, there are magazines out there that you can pick up. If you go into most stores, if you go into Amazon, you're going to find dozens upon dozens of books about how to pick the right franchise. And I think mine is one of two or three titles on Amazon, on all of Amazon, about some of the dangers you have to look out for. So everyone's kind of got their hands in the pocket of the prospective person that's about to sign up. And let me just give you a little little tidbit more about, about one of the things that's very common. So for most franchises, you have a royalty, okay? And that might be 6, 8, 10% of sales, what have you. And then there's sometimes called an ad fund fee where you contribute money to a, a pool of money for advertising, things like buying national television commercials, you know, for a chain of restaurants, that kind of thing. And so what I've often seen, for example, is in a franchise agreement, maybe in the first three years, you pay 1% of sales into the ad fund, and then in year three or four, maybe that goes up to 2%. Most new people who don't have experience in business will glance over that very quickly and they won't register what the impact of that kind of creeping fee is. I call it a creeping fee. If you develop a business that does a million dollars in sales and you're walking away with 10% of that, $100,000, when that fee change kicks in, you're going to lose 10% of your income. Okay, And if you're in a business industry that where businesses typically sell for, say, two and a half times cash flow, when that fee changes, the value of your business will decline by $25,000. 
Okay, And these are some of the things that people don't consider when they're getting into it. They'll go and they'll see their lawyer and their lawyer will look at the legal language and point out anything that he doesn't think looks right as far as legal language. But but most of those lawyers, of course, aren't giving business advice because they don't, you know, have experience running businesses and this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And and so I saw these things happen over and over and over again. I saw people who who lost their 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 businesses that they had invested big money to build and because they defaulted on the franchise agreement, they lost the location to the franchisor who basically got a brand new store for free and then turned around and sold it to somebody else. There's all kinds of things. And so if anyone out there is actually considering getting into business by by purchasing a franchise, whether new or used, um, you know, spend a little on insurance. I think you can get the Kindle edition for 10 bucks, And you can get, uh, when you go back and look at that franchise agreement, you're going to have a lot more education and a lot more tools that you're going to be able to use to examine it and figure out if it's the right deal for you. Not Not to say that all franchises are bad because... When I was a business broker, um, I was part of a franchise system, and they gave me access to training. They gave me access to all kinds of materials, personal development, professional development materials, as well as online systems and online advertising platforms. And if I were an independent and I went out and bought all those things on my own, I would have spent more money. So in, in my franchise situation, in my experience, I actually got great value from the franchisor every month. So... It's not a book to say that all franchises are bad. My whole purpose in writing it is just to give people a little bit of a heads up about some of the things that can go wrong and some of the things they need to be mindful of just so that they're educated when they go into that deal. Wow, that's extremely important. And I can definitely see where that will come into play. And I will be using referencing that book uh, quite often because people do contact me about various business ventures and stuff like that. And I'm no consultant, no business consultant, just experience. And they'll ask me, do I know of anybody who knows anything about franchising? And I'll direct them. I've usually directed them to somebody who I know either has a franchise or may mm-hmm. be a franchisee. But I will also in hand definitely be recommending that book because you should know both sides of the story to at least know what to look out for because this is one of those things where you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't, and, and then just getting an attorney, just that, just that term, just get an attorney is not the right answer because you got to get an attorney that specializes in franchising, small business or whatever the case may be. The same is true for your accountant. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I often use the example of doctors, you know, um, where I live here in my in my pro- home province of New Brunswick, it doesn't matter if it's a family doctor or a heart surgeon, they have the same medical license, right, From mm-hmm. that they're given by the, the, the governing body. But of course, they have very different skill sets and knowledge, and they do very different things. And the same thing goes for attorneys and for accountants. You know, most accountants spend their time preparing tax returns and creating financial statements. Very few of them actually help people go through due diligence if they're purchasing a business. Mm -hmm. And so you have to ask the right questions the same way you would any kind of tradesperson that you were going to hire to do a major thing to your home, like, you know, a new roof or something. You want to ask for uh, references. You want to make sure that the person you're working with really knows their stuff. 
Yeah, it's just smart business, guys. Make sure you're protecting yourself. Number one, protect yourself with the information. Know the right, know the questions to ask, and ask them of the right people, and ask them of the right professions. So buy local or invest local. I said buy local because out here in Hawaii, it's a common term. We hear it all mm-hmm. the time. We see it everywhere, and I'm sure it is in other areas of the world and the United States specifically. But here in Hawaii, it's a big, big push to buy local because we want to support local businesses in your community, mm-hmm. in your area. So I'm guessing that's really what Invest Local, your Invest Local book is all about as well. Yeah, well, I, I ran a, a small business finance brokerage for uh, about three years where I was helping entrepreneurs get business acquisition financing or mortgages for commercial buildings. I was also arranging leases on equipment and what are called factoring facilities when when businesses have a lot of receivables and they want to turn those into cash. We call that factoring. So uh, I was helping people arrange leases on pieces of equipment and I was helping people do different things. And the leasing companies, for example, when someone wanted to buy a, you know, a like a truck, let's say, um, they would often send me as the broker a limited power of attorney to go down to the DMV and and have a registration changed, for example, to be put into their name. So, so by brokering these financing deals, I got to see the mechanics of how a lot of these companies protect themselves in the case of a default. Right. So if somebody doesn't pay and you're leasing the truck, of course, the leasing company, they can come and take the truck. And in the case of a loan, you know, they might have to do a court action. But then ultimately, if they've got a lien on a piece of equipment, the bank's going to get a hold of it. Right. And I started to realize, you know, if banks are these hugely, hugely profitable, enormous organizations that make huge money, if they make this money by making loans to individuals and small businesses and they're charging 8, 9, 12, 19, 24% interest to these people and they're basically doing it with money that I've put on deposit that they're paying me 1% with, why can't I just follow their example? Why can't I just do what they do, right? And so that's what I started to do. So I started to look for deals in my own pipeline that I thought were nice and small so that I could you know, never have too much invested in any one deal. And I developed a couple of rules of thumb for myself on how to choose which kind of deals that I was looking for. So I'll give you a quick example. One of my rules that I talk about in the book is that I will only make a loan or do a lease to a small business when that investment will improve the business. So I was approached by two young men who had a business doing epoxy floor coatings for garages and they were constantly renting this piece of concrete grinding equipment and they were spending anywhere from 700 to 900 dollars every month on this stuff and they approached me and they said look we'd like to buy it and own some of this equipment ourselves um, what can you do as far as financing and I, I worked out an arrangement with them where they paid me uh, i think it was a little over 200 dollars a month so by making a, that loan to that business i improved their cash flow by five to six hundred dollars a month mm. and nothing secures my investment more than making sure that they have a profitable well-run business right and so those are some of the things I talk about in the book and I talk about how people everyday people can do the same kind of security and protection on a local investing deal as a bank does and how you can make far better returns on your money so you know instead of entrusting my money to Wall Street um, you know, in mutual funds and that kind of thing, what I do is I have the vast majority of my money 
um, just in deposit certificates where, you know, there's nothing exciting going on there. They're all guaranteed. I'm never going to lose. But a small portion of my portfolio is earning really high returns doing direct local investing. And all these deals are done within 30 minutes of my home because a personal connection is the other important thing that you want to have when you do these kinds of deals. That that book, when it came out, it uh, it really, I was surprised how many copies were sold. And what's even more surprising is that the volume just hasn't let up. There isn't a week that goes by that I don't sell a few copies of Invest Local. And so I know that just like you say, buy local is really becoming a popular thing around the world. Everyone's talking about it, supporting local. I think the next natural evolution of that is to be investing your money locally as well. Man, Dave, I really, really like that, David. That is really cool. That I see. I know it sounds crazy, but I'm, it just warms my heart. It really does because one, I mean, you're doing something for a business that personally, I, what you said that I love so much there is that. You're making sure, first off, you can't even do the deal. You won't even do the deal unless it's somehow going to improve their bottom line. Yeah. And you did a huge service for that small business in doing that and putting money back into their business and ultimately back into their pocket and food on their table. And at the same time, you know, you're you're being taken, you're being duly compensated as well. I yeah. Just, I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, at one time in history, you know, again, if you look back like 100 years ago, most banks were local Mm -hmm. and they were local businesses themselves. And so they would, you know, accept deposit money within a certain town and they would turn around and loan the money out in the same town. And what has changed in most countries on around the world is that we now have these mega huge enterprise corporate banks that, of course, swallow up deposits across a vast region Mm -hmm. and then they only lend it you know in the area that they like and so what it causes is it causes capital move and and some communities end up left out yeah so how does that vary from something like i know just a little bit about it possibly maybe just know the name which is angel investing yeah angel investing is is an entirely different kind of thing so so typically what happens when someone is an angel investor is they're buying the stock of a company that has a great potential to grow. And I, in the book, I, I talk about this. Uh, I never advocate that people buy the stock of small businesses where they're not going to be a controlling partner. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is if you own the stock of a small business, shareholders are compensated with what we call dividends. And dividends come from the net income. Okay. But most small businesses, um, they, they may not actually be managed to maximize net income. In fact, many small businesses are managed with a completely different goal, which is to maximize owner's lifestyle and minimize tax burden. So if, if let's say, uh, Wallace, I sold you 10% of my company, and this year was going to be a really good year, and I decided that as the CEO and man, general manager of my business, what I de- really deserved was a new, you know, luxury automobile uh, and then I spent the money on the car and now there's less money left over for net income and now there's less money for you as a dividend mm. right and so when you're a minority shareholder in a small business you can you're basically you can be taken advantage of you're at the whim of the majority or controlling owner when you structure your deal like a lease or like debt 
with a fixed payment every month, then um, you know I really don't care how my clients run their business as long as they make their payment, right? right? It doesn't matter to me what kind of vehicle they decide to drive. And so the angel investors, they're looking for these high growth you know, businesses that are going to expand quickly. And they'll go out and make 19 investments knowing that the 20th one is going to be so huge, it's going to compensate them for all the other losses. I'm not in that crowd because that is all about risk management. And what I'm about is risk aversion. I, I don't want to take risk. I want to make a sure deal every time. And so I'm happier with a lot lower rate of return. You know, I'll do a deal where I earn 12 or 14% on a deal. The angel investor is looking for that one in a 20 shot to earn a million percent. Right. Yeah, I'm more I'm more on your side. Absolutely. 100%. It doesn't appeal to me either, the angel investing, especially the way you explained it. And I knew just enough to where I never got involved in it anyway, or even considered looking into it at all. But invest local, I definitely get into that. I dig that. So, David, mm-hmm. you know, as much stuff as you have going on, and as many people as I've talked to, I know you've got to have several kick in the gut moments. I'd love for you to share one kick in the gut moment with us that really kind of took you to your knees. And then we'll get into basically how you came back from that, but really make us feel that. Yeah, sure. So the year was 2011 and it was the third full year of my business brokerage. And every year in my business brokerage, I had between 50 and 80% growth in top line revenue. And so, and in those three years, I sold 36 companies for other people. And so when you hear those numbers, it sounds like the business was a good one, (laughs) but actually it was not. And here's why. Um, when you are a business broker, you earn a commission when you sell a business. And in those three years, I went through three different dry spells where I went up to nine months with no deals closing. So that meant for up to nine months, I was paying my administrative staff, my rent on the office. I was paying all the overhead bills, the advertising, and I was laying out money for my household expenses at home. And then a deal would close and a big check would come in. And the problem was, is when when it did rain, you were afraid to spend the money because you could never be sure when the next check was coming in. And so I was on this cash flow roller coaster. Money would come in, everything would be great, and then money would be gone, and then I'd be into the credit cards and the lines of credit, et cetera. And if you see my photograph, I've got gray hair on the side of my head, and all of that gray hair comes from that business brokerage office, all of it. And so in 2011, I went away on vacation for two weeks and I had six different deals closing that were going to bring in a quarter of a million dollars in commissions. And when I got back from that vacation, um, within the matter of eight to 10 weeks, one deal fell apart because a franchisor was a real jerk to the buyer and the buyer backed out of the deal. Another deal fell apart because a bank rescinded a funding letter that they had issued. They basically changed their mind. They didn't want to do the deal. A third deal fell apart because the business was in a regulated industry and a government agency wouldn't give a license to the buyer. So my six deals with a quarter million dollars quickly shrank into three deals with $110,000. And when the third deal closed, that's when I found out that I was getting a divorce. So at the end of 2011, I knew that my marriage was ending. 
I had no regular steady me, you know, uh, income coming in that I could even make a household budget for myself. And I just had half the money I was counting on come in. And it was enough money to pay off the lines of credit and the credit cards. And that's when I decided I was done. And I made a deal with one of my associates to take over the office. And I retired from business brokerage. And in fact, about the worst thing that can ever happen to an entrepreneur happened to me. I had to go and start applying for jobs to figure out how I was going to have money come through the door every month to pay my bills. I finally got a fantastic position with a banking organization, and it involved a little bit of travel. So, so that's my kick in the gut moment, right? When I realized this is all really real, changes are going to happen right now, and this is the moment where I had to make a change because I really didn't have it in me to go through one more cycle of watching, you know, the balances on my on my debts go way up again before hopefully that next deal would close and get me back into black, you know? Yeah. So so I exited and I got this job and and this is when it turns starts to turn into the good news part, okay? So about three months into my new job, I was in the car. I was going to another city to visit some clients. And my phone rang. And it was a gentleman who had been referred to me by a friend of his. And he said, I'm looking to sell my business. I heard you're the guy to talk to. And I said, well, you know, I, I was a few months ago. I used to be a business broker. And, and I'm no longer doing that now. So I can't help you. Sorry. And I gave him the name of my old associate to help him out. And then literally the next week, another person called me. And this time it was someone who had been referred by another gentleman. And he said, I found this business that I want to buy. And I've got all this information. And I've spoken to my attorney. I've spoken to my accountant. They're both telling me what I need to get out of the deal, what I need to end up with. But neither of them seems to be able to guide me and coach me through the process. I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. And I don't know how I'm supposed to make these offers and negotiate through the different things. And and help set expectations in the mind of the seller. And I said, you know, I said, I can help you. I have uh, the experience, I've got the knowledge and the training, but I'm not a business broker anymore. Uh, I have a full-time job. So if you'd like my help, I'm gonna have to charge you like a consultant. I've got an, I'll make up an hourly rate, but I can only work with you on evenings and weekend. And then I just, I was silent. And in my mind, I just started counting the seconds. And he came back on the line. He said, well, then you can meet me Saturday at 9? And I said, yeah, I can meet you Saturday at 9. And that was the beginning of where I'm at today. Because slowly what started to happen is I evolved this side hustle where I was helping people buy and sell businesses but instead of being someone who was dependent upon the transaction closing to get a commission, I became a true advisor. Just like an attorney advises you on a legal issue and an accountant advises you on a tax thing, I became the guy who advised people on a business transaction. And so I started calling myself a private business transaction advisor and started working with people all over. Eventually, the, you know, the books started coming out and I started to do the YouTube channel. And now I've got the pleasure of working with people all over the place, 
uh, Canada, the U.S., Australia, New Zealand, the U.K. And, um, you know, I'm here at 3 o'clock every afternoon when my kids get off school. Man, I love it. I love the twist and and the, the I call it divine intervention. Um, that first phone call and then the second phone call. And then you just ultimately, you know, making the decision to move forward with it. And it's just beautiful. Well, in, in hindsight, you know, what... What I think finally happened is I think I finally pulled the dirt out of my ears and I was actually listening to the market. I was actually listening to what people wanted because when I owned the business broker's office, you know, potential sellers would tell me all the time, you know, oh, your commission rate is too high. I don't want to pay that much. Or buyers would say to me, you know, well, I know that you get paid a commission if I buy this business. How can I really trust the information you're giving me, right? Mm -hmm. And so what all these people were really trying to say was that they wanted help, but they didn't feel comfortable with the way help was being sold. And so, you know, it's it's really remarkable how I'm able to work with people now. And of course, now I'm never conflicted uh, in between the interests of two different parties. And um, I'm never put into a position where I have to you know, wait for my compensation based on something else that happens between two other parties. Um, I deliver work and do and, and create value for people in the work I do every day and, and I'm able to send out invoices every week. So, so it works better for me, the buyers and the sellers. Yeah, that's just a great way to do business and let's be very clear about this. Um, while I do refer to it as divine intervention, you did a lot to work up to that point. You made yourself known. You did you did people as best as you could in the industry that you was in, even mm. though there was, as you say, a conflict of interest because you were getting you weren't getting paid unless you they bought the deal, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But now it's you did something right enough to where people started looking at you as the guy to go to and to refer you, and that says a lot. So I, I commend you for that. That's just amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So we're at the point, David, where we're going to pay it forward to our abundant leaders. You ready to do that? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Perfect. So give men of abundance one to three actionable steps that they can take today. Yeah. Number one is you got to take pen in hand and write out a description of what your life looks like in some target date five or ten years out. You have to know in which direction you're steering your ship. And mine it was very clearly written out a couple of years ago when I when I realized the potential in my side hustle. I, I wrote out uh, a description where I worked from home. I was home every day for the kids after school. And we went on, you know, four to five weeks of vacation a year. And we did traveling with the camper and all that kind of stuff. And I wrote it out very clearly because if you know where you're going, all the little tiny decisions along the way, you're going to make them toward your goal. And, and right down to the tiniest ones, like do I spend an extra five minutes making coffee this morning or do I pick one up on the way to the meeting and realizing that buying a coffee on the road is not getting me closer to that desired outcome. And so when you know precisely where you're going, every little decision can all be made towards that end. And of course, then you get the compounding of all these little advantages in your life. Man, that is extremely powerful. Be extremely detailed and write it down. That's what I got from mm -hmm. that, and I say that often. It's extremely yep. important, guys. 
Yeah. Um, probably the second thing, you know, that really helps in my um, productivity is I do not make to-do lists. Um, instead, what I use are blocks of time on my calendar. So, you know, I had a meeting with a client this morning on the telephone and he agreed to move forward with a with a consulting project I was proposing and it's about two hours of my time. So the very next thing after that is I went into my calendar and I blocked out the two hours. So it's important because what it does is it shows me at a glance what I've committed to and where I'm actually free. And while I can move some of the blocks if I have to, the blocks never get deleted. They have to eventually be addressed. And so if I look at my calendar on Tuesday and I see that there's just blocks filling every day from now until Thursday and someone says, can you do this for me by Thursday? I'll say, no, I can't. I know that I don't have time, but I can do it Friday afternoon. And what it allows me to do is make sure that I never overcommit myself because I think one of the worst things you can ever do is set an improper expectation in someone's mind. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you, if, if they expect that you're going to do the work and you're going to do it well and you tell them it's going to be done tomorrow and it really takes you a week, it doesn't matter how well the job is done. They're always going to remember the fact that they were let down and you didn't deliver on time. But if you are aware of what you've got ahead of you as far as commitments and work, and you set that accurate expectation, then what happens is you reinforce the value and your professionalism in the mind of that client every time. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Yeah, the problem with lists is there's no time and date applied to what's on your list. And Mm -hmm. you just put it on there saying, well, I'll get it done someday. And someday is not a day of the week. So... It's probably not. It's just, you're just going to add that same event onto your next list the next day, and it's just going to keep on going. I, I and I'm a huge with my Google Calendar. I use Google Calendars. Do you use any particular calendar, or do you write it out? I I use Google actually, and the reason why I like it is just because I can do it on because it's in the cloud. I can do it on my. Mm-hmm. I got two different computers, and I've got my tablet, and I've got my phone, and I can just install the app on all of them, and and quickly have access to the same calendar without having to try to duplicate things. Yeah, exactly why I use Google Calendar. So what daily habits make up the biggest impact in your life, David? Um, It's, you know, getting outside. Um, I'm a big one for getting out and going for a hike in the woods or a ride on my bicycle. And uh, every day I try to do something to unplug and de-stress and get myself closer to trees than traffic, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. like to, to get back into a a place where you can hear the birds sing and I find that really just helps to unwind me and it and it it starts to create a little bit of a blank canvas so you can start to have those new thoughts and ideas yeah very creative that's where all my creative thoughts come from they're in the shower (laughs) (laughs) when you relax the bottom line is this when you relax is when you're most creative yeah very cool so what are you reading or listening to now that you'd recommend to our abundant leaders and why uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I don't listen daily, but uh, my podcast app on my phone accumulates them for me. So when I go on road trips and whatnot, I can I can really get through a whole bunch of them. Um, one book that I read recently that I really think is a great one is called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And the reason I really like it is that the author has obviously read a ton of personal development books and really does a great job of summarizing so many ideas that I know have come from different people over the past 50 years or so. 
And she summarizes it all and gives you an action plan for how you can really um, make some big gains in improving your life with just some simple habit changes and, you know, talking about, um, you know, affirmations and goal setting and all this kind of thing. Well, that definitely sounds like my kind of book. I'm going to get a hold of that. It'll be linked up in the show notes as well, but I am definitely a badass. I need to get that book so I can further affirm (laughs) (laughs) that thought of myself. (laughs) I love it. I love the title. So what do you feel holds most people back from living a life of true abundance? I, I, you know, I, I put some thought into this because, you know, at first glance, I don't know, you know, like I look at these people who keep doing the same things over and over again and they complain about their weight, but instead of going out for a walk, they watch TV, right? Mm -hmm. And you just wonder why are these people claiming that they have all these goals when in reality they obviously don't, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, I think it's actually fear People are afraid of what other people are going to think of them when they decide to take action. And and I think that I felt a little bit of that maybe when I was a teenager. Do you, do you remember being a teenager and fitting in seemed so important? Mm-hmm. I think that some people have trouble letting go of that. Mm-hmm. And like right now, I could care less what other people think about what I do. And and when I when I say that statement, immediately what I realize is that most of the people that are close to me in my life, honestly, don't care what I do because they're busy doing their own thing, right? And so you know that Jim Rohn quote where you become the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Yeah, I really believe that. And and so getting yourself a peer group of people who are all pushing forward incrementally every day, who are going to encourage you instead of you know mock you or or whatever i think that is what holds people back is they're afraid of standing out yeah yeah absolutely completely agree with that in fact i was listening to a podcast just this morning and they were interviewing a guy who who wrote a book ironically enough the book is is called a a, uh, it's abundant something i was just listening to it i wrote it down because i'm going to get the book uh, for sure, because it's right up my alley. But he said that mm-hmm. same exact thing, almost the same analogy as as you just used. Is that, you know, we're we're too worried. Too many people are too worried about what other people are going to think, and it's literally the thought. That thought, that that just the thought is what holds most people back, and it's mm-hmm. probably not even true. Chances are, it's not even true. But that's what no. They're all worried. Back. All those other people are worried about what other people are thinking of them. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly correct. So what does living a life of abundance mean to you, David? It means taking charge of my life so that I get to realize that that future vision that I had. So, and, and, and you know, I once took a, a personal productivity course and one of the the quotes that really stuck with me is that you don't find time you schedule it right right? and so every year around christmas time when i decide what i want to do or what i want to accomplish for the coming year i actually sit down and start blocking things out so i knew that this year i wanted to do three week-long vacations with my kids so in march when we had a school break i took them to new york city just a couple of weeks ago, I took them to Cape Breton Island to visit some of the wonderful nature there and, and some of the historical fortresses and things that they have there. And then later on this year, I'm taking them down to Disney. 
Well, I knew back at New Year's I wanted to do those three vacations. So I blocked them out so that they will happen because they've already been scheduled. It's just like if you've been waiting four months for an appointment with the top oncologist in your state, right? Right. And finally you get an appointment. Are you going to break that appointment? Mm-hmm. No. It's in your book. This is what you're doing. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is you want to get control of your life. And to me, that means owning your own business so that no one else is telling you where to be at what time. You get control of your life and you start to block out the time to achieve that vision that you want. And for me, my vision is all about spending time with those kids to help them have the best childhood that they can. Very cool. I love it. And um, the book that I was mentioning earlier is called Abundance Unleashed. Mm-hmm. It sounds It's not even out yet. It's going to be out here towards the end of August. But um, I want to definitely check that out. I wanted to mention that since I brought it up. Couldn't remember it, which is common of me. <laughs> anyway, David, we're going to close this up. But before we do, um, is there anything that we didn't talk about in our conversation today you want to make sure our abundant leaders get from our conversation? Yeah, sure. I mean, and and this may sound like a, a shameless plug, but if if you don't control your time, if you don't control your time, you're never going to be able to direct it, right? And so for most people, what that means is you have to become a business owner. You've got to control every part of your life. And if you have a job right now and you've got obligations like a mortgage and children, et cetera, it does not make sense to quit your job and try to start a business. Mm. And so I always say to people, if you want to get into business, you either find some side hustle route like the way I did that can be, you can build up a business and develop it into something that can become a full-time gig, or you take the shortcut, which is to buy an already successful, profitable business so that the first day you own it, you've already got a cash flow that's going to take care of those bills at home. Yeah, no, that's I, I truly appreciate you bringing that up and you saying that because there are so many ways we talk about here on Men of Abundance, there are so many ways to make additional income. And almost everybody I've talked to has said, some have said, do as I say, not as I've done, because some mm-hmm. did do that. Either they lost their job or they just straight out quit. And few of them straight out quit. Most of them built a business while they had an income at the job mm-hmm. they weren't passionate about anymore. They maybe didn't hate it, but they weren't passionate about it anymore. They saw the income and they knew they wanted to do something else. So I'm a huge advocate of side hustles. Do something while you still have a way to put food on the table, pay the mortgage and the rent, all that good stuff. But the other option is, if, and if it's something that you guys want to do, get a hold of David, find out what he's talking about, learn more about purchasing a business that works within something that you feel you would enjoy doing and that fits your budget and and where you want to go with it. All right, so we're going to close this up. I want to thank you very much for your insight. Again, guys, this is a subject I don't know a whole lot about. That's why I wanted to have this conversation with David, and that's why I love having these conversations because I'm a perpetual learner. And even if it's something I don't know that I want to do, I try to learn it so that I can share it with you guys. And today we shared a lot. David shared a lot. And David, I appreciate all your wisdom, man. Oh, thanks, man. It was really great to be on the show. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Aloha. (laughs) Thanks. Aloha. All right, guys. There you have it. 
when it comes to investing, this is the type of stuff I like to invest in. Number one, I always say I like to invest in myself and I like to invest in people. And what David was talking about, about investing local and investing in small businesses that have a direct impact on the community and directly helps that business right up front immediately within just a couple days is the type of investing that I like to invest in. Now, I know there are many other types of investing out there, and many of them work for those people. I've talked to Timothy Sykes, who is into penny stocks. I've talked to many other people on this show who are investors, and I get contacted at least two, three times a week on investing in Forex or investing in Bitcoin or many other things out there that, quite frankly, I just don't understand, and I really don't want to take the time to understand. What I understand is people. So it's easy for me to be able to invest in people because I can see the basics of a business and I know what a business needs. So I'm able to invest in the people and the business. It just makes sense to me. It's very simple and it hits home. It's at home. It's local. That's where I like to invest. And those action steps, are you kidding me? Go back and listen to David's action steps and take action. That's what they're there for. They're action steps that you can take today. One more thing, I have to give a shout out to David because he is the person that introduced me. I had already been following my coach. My current coach right now is Mark Mawinney. He is the coach who's helping me coach and helping me build a coaching business. I already know how to coach, but I didn't know how to build a coaching business. It was brand new to me. David, in our after conversation after the show, we got to talking and realized that he is a close personal friend with Mark, who is now my coach. This was several months ago, and I had already been following Mark. And then, as it turns out, you know, I'm always talking about connections and how important connections are. Well, David personally introduced me to Mark. I got personally connected with him, and then I really got to see who he was and how he worked and how he operated. And I had already been talking to other coaches that would be able to help me in my coaching business. And I know those coaches would have done a pretty good job or maybe even done a great job. But the thing is, I really liked Mark's style, and I thank David for connecting Mark and I so that we could have this professional relationship together, and at this point in time, we are on the very beginning end, just a couple weeks into our coaching uh, relationship, and I truly appreciate that. So guys, if you don't have a coach in whatever it is that you're trying to progress in in life, get a coach. It's the fast track way to bypass some of the heartaches, some of the mistakes. You're going to make your own mistakes, but it's a fast-track way to get past some of the mistakes that others have already made. Get a good coach, find somebody that you resonate with, and hire them to be your coach. It's the best investment that you'll be able to make in your personal growth and your business or whatever it is that you're trying to do. And if it just so happens that your goal is to live a life of abundance in family, faith, finances, and fitness, I may be your coach. And if not, no big deal. Brother, it will not hurt my feelings if you choose another coach out there. Ultimately, what I want for you is to live a life of abundance. Live your life of abundance. And whoever you work with to get there, I at least hope that I'm the one that planted that seed in your mind. Now, go out and live your life of abundance and make sure to pay it forward. 
That's all for today, Abundance Leaders. For more about our guests and the powerful information we shared with you today, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at menofabundance.com. We appreciate your time and look forward to hanging out with you on our next episode. So until then, be sure to pay it forward and live your life of abundance. Thank you.